I prefer the I Ching is all about these like universal life lessons that we're kind of here to learn. And people traditionally, when they like use the die and they cast, they use it like in a divinatory way. Um, and what human design has done is taken that divination and turned it into a, a tool for kind of self-reflection. And so it's like, what mm-hmm. is kind of the flavoring of that lesson and what you're here to learn on the planet? Welcome to episode four of the Cosmic Laundry Podcast. My name is Giselle Plamondon. I am a clinical counselor and psychological astrologer, and I started this podcast to have real grounded conversations about seemingly mystical and woo-woo things. This episode is the first one in what I'm going to call the expert interview series or something like that. I'm still trying to figure out a cute little name, but this episode is going to be a little bit different than, than the last two. So if you've been following along since the beginning of the launch, the previous episodes were very... Um, you know, it, it was more about, I mean, I brought on people that are doing really beautiful and big, impactful things in the world. And within that, we talked more about who they were and less about what they did. And that's one of the biggest reasons that I started this podcast is to have those conversations and to, um, you know, really just open up conversations about what it's like to be a you know, woman slash person slash, you know, whatever in 2019. This episode is a little bit different. So I brought Jacqueline on specifically to talk about human design. So we go through the profiles, we go through, you know, the sun, we go through, you know, what human design really even is. Um, and we get into some of the deeper layers of astrology or of human design. So this is a really good episode for you if you already have a basic understanding, meaning that, you know, you know about the energy types, you've had a look at your chart, you, you know, are curious about it and you're interested in, in some of the other stuff, like what the gates mean, what it means when you have a channel, the profile, the, the right angle or the cross, you know, all of those deeper pieces, not necessarily just figuring out your energy type. I am really proud of this conversation because, um, you know, Jacqueline and I are very similar. Even the way we got into our, you know, respective crafts is very similar. And this conversation, it just flows. And there's a lot of information here. I've listened to this episode myself already like 10 times. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get a lot of information out of this. You're definitely going to want to pull out your human design chart and have Google ready for, um, you know, just supporting you through this, you know, journey. Hope you have a really good rest of your week and I will talk to you all on Sunday. So human design basically is this, um, I like to describe it to people who aren't, you know, spiritual or woo woo or have never heard of it before as like the Myers Briggs meets astrology. It's cause it's very much like a system that helps you understand kind of who you are and how you operate in the world, but it's not person. It's not question based. Like with the Myers Briggs with like strength finder with resources like that, you answer a questionnaire, but human design is completely predicated on the idea of your birth time and like what the, um, 
like cosmic heavenly bodies were doing at that time and how that's kind of activating or blueprinting your energy for how you're going to walk through the world um, and who you're going to be on the planet, what challenges you're going to face, you know, what's your karma, what's your dharma. So it's four different systems that kind of magically came together um, to create this bigger master system. It's the chakra system. Um, it's the Chinese I Ching. It's Kabbalah's tree of life and it's Western astrology. So I always say it's like those four systems um, got together in a room, had some really nice chemistry, you know, turned the lights down, <laughs> got freaky, made a baby. And then human design is what kind of, you know, resulted from it. Um, Love it. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's, I really like comparing it to Myers-Briggs too, mm-hmm. because it does give you like a deeper layer of like really you know, minute understanding mm-hmm. of your personality. Yeah. Whereas astrology is a lot of, I mean, it, it's story and it's archetype, right? Yep. So there's a lot of room for interpretation with astrology. And there's whereas both. with human design, yeah. there's both there in is, design. Yeah. 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 So there's interpretation, but then there's also these really like clear, mm-hmm. you know, directives. But it doesn't hey, change. That's really cool. That's the other thing I think people get confused about though, is your human design doesn't change over time. Like with Myers-Briggs, you could take the quiz when you're 16 right. and then take it again at 36 mm-hmm. and it, it could be completely different. Um, whereas your human design, like people ask me all the time, well, Oh my God, I've got so many closed centers. How do I open them? As if there are right. like blockages <laughs> we need to fix. And it's like, no, no, yeah. they're set that way. Um, yeah. and, and it's not a bad thing, but here's, you know, so it, it isn't going to change the way those other kind of, um, you know, those other personality, I guess, assessments are set up. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And the interesting thing, okay, because I'm also a huge nerd when it comes to Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and all of that stuff. Love it. And I'm always trying to look at, like, how do these things all pair together, mm-hmm. right? So um, every system that I use describes me perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so my whole thing is, like, I think that the closer you get to living your human design or living your, you know, natal chart, the more likely it is that that – um, your Myers-Briggs or your Enneagram or whatever will stay stable Truth. throughout time. Truth. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you're still in that process of deconditioning or you're still doing the work or figuring out who you are, it might change a little bit because you're still kind of trying on a few different hats, mm-hmm. you know, does that make sense? Absolutely. And people have a six in their profile because they're all living their first 30 years as a three. And I won't get into why we can talk about what all that means later, but they, the, yeah. there are people who are basically, um, imprinted in human design to have three very distinct phases in their life. And so those people too might take an Enneagram or a, you know, Myers-Briggs and be one type when they're 20 and then get to when they're 60 and it's completely different. It's because it's, they're right. built to be that way. They're built to kind of grow and evolve and kind of grow into their chart as opposed to like land there immediately. Um, so there's that kind of aspect as well. Yeah. And so those are people with a a six in their profile. Mm -hmm. Yep. They have a three part life um, kind of cycle, which none of the other profiles do. Um, Okay. Yeah. It's, it, they're the, they're the one I love. They're going through their charts because I end up with a lot of my clients end up being between like 25 and 35. And so they're Mm -hmm. either like pre Saturn return in Saturn return or after Saturn return, which is right when that first life cycle, that first kind of cycle of life ends and, um, or I guess stage of like the life cycle ends. And so when they're able to either look back and be like, Oh, that's why that happened. Or, Ooh, that's why that trial and error happened or this thing failed or this thing didn't go the way I anticipated. It's all of a sudden like a click happens. Cause it's kind of like a, sixes live their first 30 years as a three. So it's very, very trial and error. I have to experience it to learn from it. 
um, I have to bump into it and kind of get my hands dirty and figure out what it is, as opposed to I take other people's advice. So a lot of times we exit um, that phase or folks with that six profile line exit that phase feeling a little bit uh, literally and metaphorically scarred because but because they've learned mm. things the hard way. And so when we're kind of looking back, it's like, oh, that makes sense why I feel so different than I did before my Saturn return. Um, so that's another kind of right. layer to this whole thing. Okay, that's really cool. So I wonder if um, if Saturn would be more prominent or more, you know, important in a six lines. Like, does does it line up that mm-hmm. way? It totally does. It is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The first, that's really cool. It's birth to 30-ish is the first kind of set of the, the first, I guess, part of that triptych. Um, and then mm-hmm. 30-ish to your Chiron return is the second oh, okay. phase. And then Chiron return till whenever we die, Lord willing you know, or yeah, whatever the universe has in mind, um, is that third phase <laughs> if we don't expire yeah. beforehand. Um, and so right, it's very okay. much a trial and error phase, then a reflection phase, then a, I have this wisdom I can share kind of a wise woman phase. So they grow like into the mother crone. Exactly. Kind of oh, I love that you said cool. that. I'm constantly telling yeah. people like crone is not a dirty word. It's an honorific. <laughs> yeah. Like you become yeah, the wise woman. Beautiful. Yeah. People grow yes. into that role model energy. It's not like you're 16 and you're meant to be like, Everyone listen no. to me. I have all, it all figured out. Like, we don't. Yeah. We don't when we're 16, just universally. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. That's really cool. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Let's, um, okay, let's even actually go into the lines. Yeah. I know that that's a little bit more advanced, but I think that, you know, all of the info about the energy types and stuff, like, that's pretty everywhere. Yes. You know, if people want that info, they can listen yeah. to any human design podcast anywhere. Oh, 100%. Um, but let's just go into the lines then can you just tell me a little bit about each of them there's six right there are so basically in human design just kind of like in astrology where your natal sun hits we call it your conscious sun um in human design okay is it basically establishes your karma and your dharma in this world like what your big kind of incarnation purpose is um because another thing that human design pulls from is a lot of um eastern kind of theology and philosophy and the idea of reincarnation Mm. the idea of like karmic growth And so, um, yeah, whatever your conscious sun touches becomes your incarnation cross, your reason for being. There's always, if you're ever, if you've ever nerded out for your listeners um, and gone into your your body graph and taken a look at that like crazy mix of symbols that are colored in and not colored in and there's numbers and there's decimal points, um, there's typically two columns and there's a column of numbers in black and there's a column of numbers in red. In the column of numbers in black, there's going to be a big number, a decimal point, and then a little number. Um, and that number is either one, two, three, four, five, or six. Um, that number determines your profile when it's next to your sun. So it's typically the line our conscious sun is on over the line our unconscious <laughs> sun is on. So I hope I didn't go too deep into that. But um, no, that's perfect. Yeah. So the different lines, basically, each one of them has a different vibe. Um, if you have a one in your profile, or if when you're taking a look at your gates, you have like the majority of your gates on line one. Um, First line people, and I'm a one three, so this is like my life story. We need to get to the bottom of things. We're really big. Um, I always call myself like I am like imprinted and blueprinted to be a giant research nerd. Um, I love kind of digging into something headfirst. I need the books. I want the classes. I want to listen to the podcasts. I want to go to the seminars. Like I need to pull all of the knowledge toward me and I need to feel like I have a really strong foundation in something before I feel comfortable sharing it with other people. So the first line is basically the bottom of the hexagram in the I Ching, and it is all about stability and security. And so people through cultivating that niche knowledge, 
feel like an expert's always needed. Like there's always going to be someone, a call for like an expert astrologer or, you know, an expert doctor or whatever it is. They, we tend to kind of as ones find that niche that lights us up. And then we go so nerdy into it that we build such a knowledge base. We have something secure to stand on. So when we have a first line in our chart, it's all about, you know, research and digging into and really needing to understand the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, and the how. Um, People who have a second line in their chart, either in their profile or just if that's a preponderance of their gates, those are people who have a natural talent for something. And a lot of times it's called the hermit line, whereas the first line is called the investigator. The hermit line is basically people who have this innate natural talent that a lot of times they don't even realize is a talent because to them it feels like breathing. It just feels like such a natural Mm -hmm. part of who they are that a lot of times other people have to tell them hey, yo, this is the thing you're really good at. Um, And especially people who are six twos, a lot of times they don't even figure out what that natural talent is until they're in their 30s and 40s. Because right after that, after that Saturn return, because birth to 30 is all trial and error. And then everything kind of starts clicking through that reflection after the Saturn return. So the basically, if you have a two in your profile, a big part of your life is really feeling into what do other people call on you to do? Like, where do you really shine in that way? And what feels just natural and innate? And it's still something you practice. Like I always think about, um, I always use the idea of a photographer as my example of this. There are people who can just pick up a camera and instinctually know what to do with it. They take gorgeous shots. But if you ask them, what aperture are you using? Like what F-stop? They're like, I don't know what an F-stop is. Like, Don't ask me. But they take gorgeous pictures. And I'm sure that really irritates people who like went to photography school or, you know, art school for that. And they're like, you know, they have technical knowledge. So it's not like we, those people, they could still benefit from a class. They still want to like cultivate and tend to that knowledge, but it tends to just feel much more, you know, just kind of natural to them. Um, and they need, and they also tend to um, kind of withdraw a little bit. Like they need their own alone time, hence the hermit name to really Mm -hmm. nerd out with that skill. And so a big part of their life too, is this balance between how much do I go out and interact with other people and how much do I kind of recede back and yeah, just like really nurture that thing. That's my special, happy, nerdy place. Right. Okay. That's so interesting. I have a friend who is, she's a two, four. Oh, I love and she's two a, fours. So yeah, she's so sweet. She's a really, really skilled illustrator and graphic designer mm-hmm. and she doesn't have any technical training in any of it. Mm-hmm. And she like, I'm, I'm constantly telling her like, you need to do this. You need to do this. And she's finally starting to realize like, okay, I don't have to necessarily go to school. Like I actually am really great at what I do. And, and it, it's so funny, even the way that you talk about like the hermiting and then coming out. Mm-hmm. And people like it's just so her to a T. So it's really interesting when you get. I love the profiles. I find them so they're fascinating. They're so helpful. Yeah, yeah. There's so much information in them. Yeah, I always say our so, incarnation. Yeah, that's cool. I always say our incarnation cross is what we're here to do, and our profile is how we do it. Like, what's our most natural way of kind of walking through the world? And two fours are really special because they have this also push pull. Because the fourth line, we'll skip three. We'll come back to that in a moment, but. The mm-hmm. fourth line, the opportunist, is all about relationships. Um, Ra talks about it as networking, but I think we all, again, everyone I talk to has the same. When we say networking, I think ugly suit, bad Chardonnay, name tag, yeah. Marriott Ballroom. Like, <laughs> that is not what yeah. he's talking about. 
He's talking about like really finding your nerd herd, like those people who yeah. are. Pat- oh, your nerd herd. That's yes. my. That's my. Again, that's my first line going. Like you find your your fellow nerds. Like who are the people you want to like totally nerd out with that are passionate about the same things that you are, and you build the relationship based on either shared interest. Um, or shared values, shared ethics. It could be, um, you know, shared, you know, like your family or your friends. And so there is this almost um, bigger push and pull for two fours because part of their nature is like going out and communing with their fellow nerds. But then a big other part of their nature is like that wears them out. So they need time to kind of come back to themselves and ground. Um, They're here for genuine relationships. And it's so hard. Twos are not built for strangers and neither are a lot of times people with a fourth line they do better when they're introduced to people and so a lot of times my two fours feel really overlooked in this world until someone finally like makes the introduction and then we're obsessed with them we're like how did I not notice you you are amazing oh my god I want to know everything about you but until we get that introduction sometimes we overlook those people um which can be really sad because they they're very and is that their energy is that the way their aura you know like the way that they need to interact or or like get into relationship or is it just because of that hermit energy they're a little bit more quiet I think it's I think it's a mix it could be a mix of two things because you've got the hermit energy that they're a little bit more kind of reserved but you also have um regardless of what your energy type is it's just typically to know you is to love you with that sort yeah, of that's true. energy. Yes. So like once the introduction happens, people are like, oh my God, how have we not met before? But sometimes mm-hmm. like just, you know, like sometimes these are the people who will sometimes like post on Instagram and people are like, why are you sharing that? And then once you know them, you're like, oh my God, thank you for sharing that. Like, it's just kind of like a weird, right. like once you know them, you're, you're, you're in, you're a hundred percent in. Got it. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So fourth lines are all about cultivating those relationships and anyone with a fourth line in their profile or a lot of fourth line in their chart there are connectors. Like I think about um, little erector sets that have like, you know, they've got like the longer kind of um, longer like line pieces. Like I, I think I can't use words today. I have an open throat <laughs> center, so it's going to be messy. I apologize. Um, and you've got okay. this little like interconnecting pieces that like you put all the little longer pieces into. They're like the connecting piece. They're the, like the hinge okay. that kind of like connects all the other people together. So like your four oh, friends – are typically the yeah. ones that are going to be like, oh my God, have you met so-and-so? And like, they, right. they tend to actually receive a lot of their callings and a lot of their opportunities through their relationships. And they can't wait to do that for other people as well. Like I have a really good friend who's a four, six, and she has introduced me to probably four or five of my closest friends. She's like a really good kind of vetter of people of like, oh, you guys are going to really gel. You two need to meet. So like, Anytime my friend Heather's like, oh, I, need, I have someone you need to meet. I'm like, yes, I'm going to love them. I have a new friend. Like, I just know that before, like, I even actually inter- encounter that person. Okay. They're like the Geminis of human design. Maybe. Yeah. And it's, I, that's yeah. how I, I kind of feel like I have a gap in my knowledge. I'm trying to learn a little bit more about each one of those zodiac signs. And my goal eventually is to be able to pull up someone's needle chart and pull up someone's human design and be like, this is where Capricorn lives. Or this is why you're, right. your Sagittarius Beautiful. is here. That's also yeah. adding a layer to this. Um, okay, third lines. Um, they're yep. the, it's called the martyr line. Um, this mm-hmm. is that trial and error energy. So as a one three, yeah. another big part of my life is just I have that knowledge I have to learn through books, but I also kind of need to try shit out myself. So I always use the analogy of like, 
you know, everyone can say, don't run into that fire. It's really hot. You're going to burn yourself. The third line's like, yeah, but maybe for you, maybe you're not doing it right. I'm going to run and I'll be Mm -hmm. fine. And then we emerge on the other side with no eyebrows and like, you know, third degree burns. And we're like, no one else go into the fire. It is absolutely (laughs) hot. They were correct. It is not safe. Like, Oh man! And it's funny because the other threes or sixes that are before their Saturn return are going to be like, yeah, bitch, you probably did that wrong though. I'm going to go run in. And it, yeah. And then they end up burned as well. So we're here to kind of try things on for ourselves. We need to get our hands dirty. We need to kind of get the scars. Um, it's, it's experiential based learning. So it's that right. balance. If you're a one, three, um, and if your third lines in your profile, like if you're a three, five, for example, like that's how you help solve problems is by trying out different solutions and doing that kind of like trial and error type of energy. Yes. Um, yeah, I resonate with that for sure. Oh yeah. And like that's, yeah. And as a three, five, exactly. I always like to think of it as like the fool in the tarot deck. Um, mm-hmm. and tarot is another one of my like special happy nerdy places. Like the fool kind oh, of cool. throws itself off the cliff and like hopes the angels will catch it. And sometimes we splat like Wile E. Coyote and sometimes we, you know, the angels do catch us and it's fantastic. Um, that's kind of like the, the vibe, especially, you know, for, for three fives or one threes of just like, we'll, we will take big risks. Um, I love that analogy. I always do risky shit and people are like, how are you doing this? I'm like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It'll work out. And if it doesn't, I'll figure it out. Like that's, that's definitely a really beautiful way of looking at that Mm -hmm. because it is kind of this thing of like, I actually don't know how this is going to work. I have no plan. I have no idea, but it will work or it won't. Mm -hmm. And then I'll figure it out. You know, we are always the people who everyone looks at us and goes, I can't believe that you did that. Like, I can't believe you quit your job and started a blog on human design and that's your your job. Or I can't believe that you, you know, decided to go to art school in Paris. Like, we're the people who are like, this is what I want. I'm going to try it out. If it works, great. If not, I'll figure it out. And like, we're so, and a lot of other types might be, or other profiles rather, that might not, that might feel a lot more scary to them. They might not understand or feel connected to taking that kind of risk where for us, it's just kind of like, nope, that's just the way we are. Like, we'll just, we'll dive in. Um, Yeah. Well, we got the fifth line, which is the other line in your profile. The fifth line is, it's called the heretic. You guys are the problem solvers of the world. And sometimes a big challenge for, for anyone with a fifth line is the, it's kind of like a blessing and a curse. So people tend to look at you and go, oh my gosh, you are the only person who can fix this problem for me like it has to be you you are my hero please come right in and save the day and anyone who's got that fifth line in their profile needs to kind of take a big step back and be like am I though like is that something I can actually do like is that in my wheelhouse like is that my special set of skills because if you try I always liken it to like if you're a dentist and someone comes into your office and is like can you take a look at my foot I've got this fungus like dentists who are, you know, fives typically have to go like, hmm, okay, I'm a dentist. I'm not trained in feet. I'm going to refer you to someone else. Whereas yeah. the person in the chair could be like crying and being like, you're my only hope. You're the only medical professional I trust. So a lot of times, like you kind of elicit this just like implied trust from people. They just assume yeah. this amazing overall across the board competence. So mm-hmm. you guys have to kind of deal with that. Um, that kind of projection on you all the time of like, of course you can take on this thing. Of course you can do it. So you have to know yourself well enough to be like, okay, is that something I can take on? And the way setting those boundaries and the way you're going to do it's through trial and error where, you know, Mm -hmm. if it's something you're, you know, versed in and you have that background, you're like, 
perfect. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's dig in. Let's try this out together. Um, but also knowing, you know, like those healthy boundaries, like, you know, let me refer you to my friend, the podiatrist, like they're going to probably right. be able to help you better with your foot. Um, and there is a bit of a heretic energy too, because a lot of times we defer to the fives, to the people, to be the people who kind of rage against the machine um, and kind right. of we project on them so much hero vibes. Like I think about, um, I, are you watching The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu? No, I haven't started it yet because I know that once I start it, I like I just won't yeah. have a life anymore. Ugh. Like that's all I'll be doing. Canada's yeah. own Margaret Atwood is a national treasure. I hope you guys yes. take care of her. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> in, in just a quick like you know little recap, there's a character um, named um, Alfred. Well, her name is June, but everyone calls her of Fred because that is the the weird, awful, almost a hair's breadth away from where we are world where the story takes place, um, where the women are now of whoever their designated, I guess, keeper is. And um, right. Alfred is now in a position in this show where she's constantly being asked to do things that are risky to her to kind of be the person who stands up for the injustice. And you have like mm -hmm. dozens of women, but somehow they look to her to be the person to solve it. Like you smuggle these letters or you be the one to kind of, you know, get this child back or whatever it is. And as opposed to like everybody kind of collectively coming together. So there's a lot of pressure put on her shoulders because they look to her to kind of be the hero. And so that's a big theme in a lot of time. Five's lives is people turning to them to be that hero figure. Um, and then finally, we get to the sixes. Uh, they're the role models. And role model is not like how they're plopped on the planet. They kind of grow into it. Um, one of my favorite sixes um, is Barack Obama. He's a six two mm. as his profile. Yeah. And so when you think about his life, like first 30 years for him, like he was a community activist. He was, you know, <laughs> going to uh, law school. He was trying on different areas of, um, you know, activism or law or different things he was trying on to figure out like what was the thing that fit the best and what was the thing that kind of most aligned with his like hermit energy of like, you know, what's his natural talent. Um, so they had that trial and error phase. 30 to 50-ish for him, like he became America's president at 47, which is right on right. time. Like that's the time where everything kind of settles down for sixes. They tend to call okay. in their stable career. Um, their family kind of settles. Their friends kind of settle. He met Michelle during that time, got married. Um, and Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that they met so late. Yeah, they only, I think they got married when, she, I want to say she was 31 or he was 31. Okay. I, I, I studied this when I, I went way down a rabbit hole when I was writing about right. him for the blog. But I believe it was like right during the Saturn return, they kind of met and got married. Um, like either right okay. before or right that after. makes sense. Yep. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Because typically twos, bonds made and broken is what typifies a, uh, a third line's relationships and that first mm -hmm. 30 years for a six. So what bonds made, So what does that mean? Yeah, bonds made and broken really means that like, I think of it like the lover's card in the tarot. Here's another kind of tarot example. Um, everyone we meet is meant to be a teacher. And I think a lot of people, when they pull the lover's card in the tarot, they're like, my soulmate, and they get really excited. And, and what right. it actually means when you kind of dig into the archetypes and the, you know, a lot of the, the teachings about this is that it's about the lessons we learn through the relationships that we have. And so a big theme of that birth to 30 is really, I call it sometimes the culling, because not everybody we meet is meant to walk with us the entire time we're on the planet. And so birth to 30 for sixes or anybody who's got a third line in the profile. So you and me, 
there are going to be people that we meet that we're going to have short, very intense relationships with. We're going to learn everything we need to learn karmically. And then the relationship is going to end. So we sometimes Mm -hmm. have to close the door on bonds that like are no longer serving us. Maybe it's become super acrimonious. Maybe it has become um, something where it's like that person is stagnant and I feel like I'm still growing or vice versa. And so we end up having to kind of close the door in relationships sometimes. Um, And so that's what happens kind of birth to 30 for sixes as well is that they go through this period of like a shedding of relationships that are either weighing them down or aren't serving them. Um, And then 30 to 50 for them, everything kind of starts to stabilize. And so the soulmate type relationships are now ready to come in Um, because you're also not doing so much trial and error. Like everything has kind of steadied itself out. And so that's when people who have that six line in their profile tend to meet their person. If they haven't met them already, if they meet them during the birth to 30 phase and they're ready to kind of ride with them through some rocky stuff before they kind of get into that second phase. Yeah, yeah. Um, So the second phase, again, is all about like reflection. It's basically taking a step back and being like, what did I learn during those first 30 years? As opposed to sitting back and being like, here's all the ways I fucked up. It's more like, what did I discover through my quote unquote failures or successes? Um, and what is that going to teach me moving forward? And then again, uh, Barack Obama was elected when he was 47. So like right around the Chiron return and uh, his next, you know, th- well, 30 to whenever he, you know, gosh, and I hope that is never anytime soon, um, whenever he leaves us, um, his life is now about being the wise man, being kind of this, right. this figure who has done the heavy lifting of reflecting on all of the things that he's been through. And now it's wisdom because he's gone through that reflective piece and people tend to look at him and just be like, can you guide us? Can you be the person right. to kind of be that role model? So it's something they have to grow into through kind of the arc of their chart. And um, his really oh, maps so beautifully to that. Um, and he is Oprah six. Oh, I have to look at her chart. I'm so like, I have, I have a list of celebrities whose charts I want to go into. Um, yeah. But it wouldn't surprise I'm me just if so she curious. is. I'm going to yeah. totally look that Same. up. Um, I mean, Oprah <laughs> Sorry, is totally so here to guide us. Like she is. Yes. And if she's not yeah. a, a role model, I believe she's a projector. I want to say, okay. I could yeah. be wrong. I'll have to look that up too. I mean, it makes sense because she's, I mean, we all want her guidance. We are all recognizing her and being like, she could be a five two then I guess. Yeah. Right? She could as well. Like there's a lot of yeah. times those things might match up and any of the types can be any of the profiles. Um, yeah. It just, right. we, yeah, we just do it in different ways. So like with uh, Barack Obama being a projector, like he does have that guidance as well. And it's very different than maybe a generator who might be a six two. Like they mm, might funnel yeah. their leadership energy in a different way. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I've never had or heard such a really like good breakdown of the the six lines. Because a lot of the jargon is like a lot of the information online is very jargony. Yes. And you're like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, how do I use that information in real life? Can I rant for a minute? Um, Yes, you can rant. The guy who who channeled the system, his name is Robert Allen Krakauer. He, after he channeled it. That's his real name? His name name is Robert Allen Krakauer. We have to remember, he's a white dude from Canada. So that's another thing to kind of remember. Ra-Uru, who is, it's hilarious when I heard that that was I died. Um, But yeah. Because it was another, it's another (laughs) one of those like appropriative things where it's like, oh, a white dude has a spiritual awakening and all of a sudden he has a vaguely Asian name. Um, yes. so yeah, he decided that that was what apparently the voice who spoke to him told him he needed to call himself. Um, right. Which, so he's, but he's really Robert Allen Krakauer. Yeah. So Rob, okay. I'm going to call him Bobby, um, for our, Got <laughs> it. so when Bobby that. was channeling the system or, or downloading it or whatever you want to call it, I mean, it, it, he maybe studied all this stuff and, and had a click or whatever you want to, you know, however you want to kind of access it. Um, 
-hmm. one of the things he did was his naming conventions are so fucked up in the system. So Mm -hmm. I'm, before I came to human design, I was a literacy specialist um, in elementary schools, which means like, I really understand how children learn how to read and how the English language works. So that's rad. That's really cool. I'm such a nerd in different ways. Um, But one of the reasons that language works is because we all have shared understanding of what certain words mean. And that's also why language evolves because we all kind of decide now dope doesn't just mean heroin. It also means cool or whatever it is. Right. So his use of language though is so ego forward because he'll take words and be like opportunist does not mean anything negative now it has this new neutral meaning that I've just decided it means but people will look at their profile and be like I'm an opportunist oh my god Mm -hmm. like they feel so insulted or feel so like that's a negative thing he does that for so many words in human design and even the way he phrases things like waiting for the invitation and waiting for recognition. Like he's so precise with his wording, but he also decides that words mean different things than we have a shared collective understanding of what they mean that a lot of times we'll see something on the surface and be like, Oh my God. And then once we read deeper and really kind of unpack it, it's like doing high level critical textual analysis with all of his explanations that you're like, Oh, it's actually not a bad thing. Oh, wait. Oh, I love that way. you have that background. Oh, I'm, I love that you have that background. I am such a nerd. Like, I used to teach teachers how to teach kids how to read. That was my job uh, for years. Yeah, that's so cool. And that, I mean, that makes you, like, extra qualified to have these conversations about the way that he uses language. Because that is a huge – everyone's talking about human design mm-hmm. and how um, damaging some of that language could well, be, it, right? it breeds misunderstanding <laughs> and it breeds miscommunication. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, my biggest um, – like the, one of the biggest things that I come into all the time is projectors. Their mm-hmm. entire strategy is wait for recognition and an invitation. And people shorthand that is wait to be invited. And so you've got mm-hmm. all these projectors now who are taking this giant step back. We're like, I can't do anything until someone asks me. They take it so literally. And that's so yeah. de- disempowering, right? And what, mm-hmm. what actually the projector strategy is when you read the whole thing is projectors are our guides. So the analogy I always yeah. use for like the four energy types, and there's four, not five. That's another big misunderstanding, um, is that I always use a construction site as our big analogy. So manifestors are the people who are like, we need to build a luxury high rise apartment complex. That is my idea. I'm going to get the funding. We're doing this thing because manifestors are the big idea people and they start informing people around them. Hey, I'm building this apartment complex generators and manifesting generators and manifesting generators are like a subtype of generators that happen to have their. So you'd put them as the same. They are the same. Yeah. According to Ra, mm-hmm. when he channeled this, they're the same. The only difference is they have a motor connecting um, a motor center connected to their defined throat. So basically they have more energy to kind of manifest than just the pure generator does. And so mm-hmm. I always think okay. they've got a little bit of manifestor DNA and a little bit of generator DNA. And it's kind of those right. two things coming together, but they're technically, again, according to, to a generator. Yeah, generator. So manifesting generators and generators, we're here to respond. Like we have these, um, <laughs> basically we get lit up by some of the ideas that the manifestor has. Maybe we're like, I love construction. I want to be the person who lays the foundation or, I want to be the person who designs the kitchen. Um, and so we kind of niche in and figure out what our, what part of that construction process lights us up and we give our physical mm-hmm. energy to that thing. And when we give our physical energy to that thing, we can like, we're in it. We're like the energizer bunny. We're like 16 hours designing a bathroom. Awesome. Cause it lights me up to do that. Mm-hmm. Projectors are the guides. 
they're here as almost like the project manager who like, say I say me as a generator, I was lit up by the idea of like designing the interior of the apartment and say I'm working on the kitchen and the project manager, the projector might come up and be like, you are so good at bathrooms. Like, I know you're designing the kitchen right now, but would it light you up more to look at the bathroom? Because I have someone over here who's dope at kitchens. Like, can we switch? And so they're good at kind mm-hmm. of figuring out the best way for us to channel or direct that like really intense energy that we have so that we're getting the most joy. We're making the biggest impact. Um, and yeah. the reflectors are like HR. If HR worked on behalf of us, the people doing the building and not like the greedy corporation, because they're the one who's like, mm-hmm. I'm really cr- tired and cranky and hungry. That means everyone else here is probably tired and cranky and hungry because I'm reflecting back how everyone else is feeling. So I think we need a summer Friday or, you know, whatever it is. They're- oh, I love that analogy. So with projectors, I think the challenge is because they're here to guide, um, not one of the biggest lessons human design has taught me is not everything is for you. And it's, it can be a really, it can be a scary thing when you first hear it, but it can also be really freeing. And projectors are not here to like blanket guide everybody. They really either have a specific group of people or a specific topic that's like their niche. They're not just here to always be the guides in every situation. And so a lot of times projectors, because their energy is so short and so concentrated and intense, we want to make sure they're directing their guidance in a way that doesn't feel like screaming into the wind. So for them, Mm -hmm. it's like, why don't we, if they're with people who value their input, who recognize their talents, who are like, I cannot wait to work with you, please advise me and tell me, that's a much more productive, satisfying, successful way of channeling their energy than just walking into a a situation where no one asked and starting to give advice and direction. And so, well, and that's not even going to work. Oh, oh, no, it's totally not. That's where bitterness yeah. comes in. That's their not self thing. Mm-hmm. They feel like I've done all the work. I know what I'm talking about, yet y'all are ignoring me. What the fuck? Yeah. And so like, it makes them want to shut down. Like, well, I just won't say anything. And so instead of having those situations, we want you to kind of find those people who cannot wait to work with you. And so then when you guide, everyone kind of sits up and like leans in and cannot wait for your, you know, your advice and your, and your, you know, um, yeah. yeah. And that's where yeah, they're stoked to work with you. And that's where the invitation comes in. An invitation is anything that seeks your involvement. And so yeah. people think of it as like an invitation to a wedding or like a formal, like, will you marry me or things like that, where it's really just like, there are groups of people that we feel like our involvement is sought. Like, of course, I'm going to be working with them. Or of course, they want me to weigh in. Like, it's it's a reciprocal kind of arrangement so those are like once you have that recognition recognition rather invitations just flow because of course Mm -hmm. your involvement is sought in that way and the waiting a lot of times has to do with waiting as you're finding those right people because it can take a while and then Mm -hmm. waiting for your authority to talk to you once those invitations come so like if a projector has splenic authority like go with your gut what does your gut tell you about working on that specific project or you know, going on that date or whatever it is. Or, you know, if you've got, you know, emotional authority, I need to feel shit out before I know how I feel about accepting that job or moving to that state or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, people a lot of times think they have to kind of sit in the background and just passively not do anything until someone says, I would like to extend you a formal invitation to blah, blah, blah. And it's, <laughs> that can yeah. be so disempowering. And it, it's, I don't, I, that's not my understanding of how that whole thing is kind of supposed to work. Yes. Yeah. I know. Like I, so I'm surrounded by projectors, Mm -hmm. my sister, my mom, my dad, my partner, most of my friends, like I'm surrounded by them. Yep. 
And I know they're always like kind of in awe of my ability to just kind of like go out and make shit happen. Yep. But it, it's hilarious because I'm always in awe of their ability to see what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. And so I'm constantly like I joke like the reason that I'm successful in whatever it is that I do is because I'm constantly asking all my projectors like, should I do this? Is this right? Like I I, I really like utilize them. Oh yeah. In so many ways because they they see things. You know, mm-hmm. like they just have this really deep intuitive of understanding and uh, yeah I have such a soft spot for projectors because the world and like the world is just not set up for them it isn't and it's it's theoretically our paradigm is shifting a little bit like with the next global cycle we're stepping into with the right angle cross of the sleeping phoenix is all about like burning down the systems that are no longer serving us and trying to figure out Mm -hmm. what we build in return and so okay Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You got excited. You okay. had like a moment. Yes. I, I am having a moment. That was, so that's my incarnation cross. Yes, it is. This is the sleeping phoenix. Oh, it's one of my favorites. And I remember when I first, I'm really glad you said that because when I first started getting into human design, I read like as much as I could about it and it was all so scary. I was like, what is this? That was definitely one of the things for me that I was like, okay, I need to go deeper into human design and debunk this because this language is not working for me and I don't get it. Oh yeah. So what is it that, okay. So we go through cycles. Mm-hmm. So as a, as right? a so what cycle are as we a in right global now? community, we go through okay. cycles. And so, yeah. um, okay. oh my God, it's been so long since I dug into this. Um, I've been so focused on where we're stepping into and not what we've stepped out of. So I can look that up, but, um, we're stepping into okay, let's yeah, we're stepping into, into the... the cycle, which is your incarnation cross. So um, incarnation crosses, basically, again, it's whatever gate our conscious sun touches um, becomes our incarnation cross, the thing we're here to do. It's like our bigger karmic dharmic thing. So yours is right angle cross to the sleeping phoenix. Yours is specifically in gate 20. So it adds like a very specific kind of flavoring. So think about the myth okay. of the phoenix, right? And I live in Phoenix, mm-hmm. Arizona. So it's kind of like a nice little, you know. Yeah, I, I love, love that. Phoenix. Yeah, <laughs> but the Phoenix basically is such a symbol of death and rebirth. It's all about basically this. This Phoenix in the mythology will self-immolate. It will set itself on fire and burn itself to the ground to kind of rise, reborn, and renewed and recharged from the ashes. And so, basically, people who have this incarnation cross are constantly kind of going through their life and doing like a very intentional edit of like what is working, what isn't, and then is there something that I need to kind of shed to step into the next thing? Like a- another way of looking at it that maybe isn't so scary and like full of fire is like a snake shedding its skin. Like every once in a while, right. you kind of okay. have to let go of the stuff that you've outgrown and that isn't serving you and kind of, you know, grow into like the next kind of phase of what you're supposed to be. So you guys tend to be incredibly busy and tend to have a lot of creative projects going on. Um, and you love change like change team seems to be something that like lights your fire and gets you excited like what's next what's coming down the pipe like let's mm-hmm. keep going um and a lot of times it's through your romantic relationships that's the way you grow like your life really is yes. about a quest for intimacy like intimacy with mm-hmm. experiences with people with jobs with places whatever it is and you guys are constantly seeking that like mm, like that thing and so through those experiences though and that's kind of where your third line is also kind of showing itself is there's risk in that. Like you guys are the type of people that, you know, might meet someone and have a whirlwind romance and, and go really deep or have that friendship that like gets really intense very quickly or whatever it ends up being. But it's almost when those either relationships don't pan out or you come to a place of turmoil or a place of like 
uh, friction or conflict in the relationship, you grow from those things. So yeah. And a lot of times they're yes. the things that serve as a catalyst for self-transformation. So a silly kind of way of looking yep. at this is like when we break up with someone, we cut and dye our hair. Like it, sometimes mm-hmm. it's like that simple, but sometimes it also might be like after a specific ending of a certain cycle, like how am I changing myself or my life or my surroundings to kind of represent stepping into the new? So it might be by moving. It might be by, you know, changing jobs. It might be by changing partners. So you tend to kind of, because you're someone who embraces change so much, everyone around you better buckle the fuck up because like a lot of times you carry them with you and that can be really scary. Like I think yeah, one of the things and that's such a big theme for, you know, people with this incarnation cross is change is the only constant. And that's just one of nature's mm-hmm. laws is like change is the only constant. And in life, the more we push back against change, the harder that change becomes. So you guys kind of inherently intrinsically know that. And the people around you, though, may not have gotten the memo and may not understand that quite as deeply as you do. So as you're changing and growing and doing all these things that they perceive as maybe risky or big or scary, like they sometimes like some people are going to be able to hang and some people are are not. And so that's another kind of third line thing of who are those relationships that might fall away because they're they're not down with the change. So, yeah, you know, that's so interesting because like that was one of the things when I was looking at, you know, the package mm-hmm. you sent me, I was like, it, you know, over and over it said, you know, change through uh, relationships yeah. or transformative change through relationships. And I literally can look back, especially at romantic yep. relationships, not necessarily as much with friendships, but definitely romantic relationships. I can look back at like me before that relationship and me after that relationship. And I almost can like look at my personal growth and transformation through the before and afters of every relationship that and I've that's had. so that's so powerful because then there are people who yeah. are wired where um like my chart's not that way and thank god for the projectors in my life I've gone through pl- times where it's like I've dated the same guy over and over and over again like it's a different human but it's the same set of, yes. of baggage and so it's like I sometimes will learn the same lesson two three four times before thank god a projector sits me down and is like what's the pattern like, what's the common like, denominator? Like, what are you doing? Like, yes. Can we reflect mm-hmm. a little bit? Like, what do we learn? And so it's it, not everybody's wired to do that. Like, and so you kind of yeah. have that, you know, reflective thing built in where it's like you have the baptism by fire, but you come out on the other side stronger and more powerful, you know, because you, you've reflected mm-hmm. on all the ways that it's changed you and you have allowed that change to happen. You haven't dug your feet in and go, no, everything is staying exactly the same. Like, that's not how life works. Like, we have to kind of grow and evolve in that way. Yeah, for sure. And I find, like, one of the things with this, too, is, like, I've actually had to learn to be – like, I know that I'm adaptable, and I know that that's a strength that Mm -hmm. I have. And I really relied on that in my early years, early 20s, whatever. If something wasn't going right with, you know, work or – relationships or anything I would just kind of let it blow up and then I'd adapt and that was like the easier mm-hmm. way for me and so now I'm learning like okay there are some times where you have to like stay yes. and stick it through and see what happens and so I'm like in that process right now of being like what happens if I stay 
even when it's hard, even when every part of me wants to run, because I know as soon as I make that decision of like, this isn't for me or this Mm -hmm. isn't working and I, I, I like pivot, I know that I'll be okay, but what happens if I stay? And so that's a new area that I'm like in and exploring. And it's, it's really different. It's actually so hard for me to stay where I know that for some people, it's so hard for them to, to move. And it's so funny because your conscious setting gate 20, the special flavoring you have for your incarnation cross is learning how to get still and learn and learn wow, how to be okay. a little bit more meditative and be a little bit more focused because once you it literally says that once your phoenix takes flight you're off and, and going and it, it's sometimes though it is about getting quiet and getting still and getting contemplative and really making sure like the next move is intentional and not just changing to mm-hmm. change like we don't want frenetic activity yeah. we, want, we want intentional growth um yeah, yeah. And so that's such a, that is so funny you were saying, because I was literally about to tell you about your special flavoring. And as you're explaining that, I'm like, oh my God, she knows. She, we... I love yeah. that. Okay. No, that's good too. Cause I remember when I was looking up, I remember Jenna Zoe had a, a thing where she was talking about your son in your human mm-hmm. design. And I looked it up and I looked at the gate and I was like, I don't really understand yeah. this. All I get from it is self-consciousness. And so um, yeah. I was like, I don't know if I'm living my son or not. So that's, well, it's, yeah, it's so funny because the sun in gate 20, it's called the gate of now. Um, and it's all about mm-hmm. like having instantaneous clarity or action in a specific like situation. And for you, um, it's in one of your channels. It's in the channel of charisma and it's in the channel of awakening for you. And channel of awakening is basically our, our self to our throat center, helping us have that intuitive clarity to be like, this is what feels good. This is what does not. Um, and you having, um, or sorry, it's going from your self to your throat, rather. This is what feels good. This is what mm-hmm. doesn't. I think I said a different set of centers. Apologies. Um, again, open throat, trying to do too many things at the same time. Um, no worries. I wouldn't have yeah, even noticed. I'd have been like, yeah, okay, so yeah. So you've got this self-center, which is very much like who we are, what our ethics, our morals, our values are, our direction in life. Um, and we're giving voice to that through the, the cell through the, I'm sorry, gate 20 in your throat center, which is your ability to kind of communicate exactly what's resonating and landing with you in that moment. And so I'm very envious of people who have a self-center closed because you guys, it's almost like you've got this perimeter fence around yourself. That's like, lets you know exactly when someone's trying to violate your integrity or push back against your, um, what's like, ethical or moral or correct for you like it's like the floodlights come Mm -hmm. on the sirens go off you're like yeah that's not me I'm not gonna do it whereas people have it open sometimes we need to feel into things a little bit more and we might get midway through something and be like oh wait what am I doing like oh this doesn't feel good it just it's a much longer process and you kind of have that okay because gate 20 in yourself or sorry 10s in the self-center and that's like your ability to listen to your kind of inner compass and inner guidance is connected to this throat which is like I can then communicate that and be really clear about this is me this is not me so it's kind of keeping you within your integrity as you're blowing shit up burning shit to the ground and like building something from the scratch would that be would anyone who has the identity connect to the throat would anyone who has those would that be that what what you're talking about there or is there a way that people can know oh. if they have that or would they have to book in with um, you for no, that you can kind of ha- i mean it's totally up to you how deep and nerdy you want to get into this i'm talking about your channel of awakening which goes from your your, oh, okay. your throat to yourself um center because our Got channels it. are basically like our superpowers like what are the gifts we've been given for this right. incarnation and so I'm just looking at your planetary placements and which gates you have activated so I basically said oh she okay her, her gate 20 
or her sun lives didn't resonate with her, where else is gate 20 in our chart? And it's in two places for you. It's in the channel of charisma and the channel of awakening. And that one seemed the most relevant. Okay. So I was like, oh, let's talk about that. But that yeah. makes sense. Okay. But that's another yeah. thing I think that you kind of bring up a good point, like, you know, in a roundabout way, like our incarnation cross gives us part of the picture, but also looking at that conscious gate placement, wherever gate 20 shows up, is it in a channel? Is it by itself in an open center? Is it in a closed center? Like, and what does that gate itself mean? Um, our gates are typically the lessons that we're here to learn when they're by themselves, not in a channel. It's kind of lessons and, and things we're meant to kind of grow through and reflect on. But for you, because it's in a okay, channel, so it's, it's a superpower. A channel. Got it. Okay, that's a really good distinction. So if it's, you know, completed, yeah. you have both sides yep. of the gate, then it's a superpower. But if it's a hanging gate, then yeah. it's a lesson. And typically... So then are you learning the the gate, the lesson of the gate that you don't have that doesn't complete it? Or oh, are no. you learning the lesson You're of learning that the gate? You're the lesson of that gate. So whatever gate's been open for okay. you, like that's like going to be a theme, going to be something that comes up. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and that's where the I Ching comes in too. So that's another place to kind of, if you're ever going through your chart and you're looking at these different gates and you're like, gate 20, I can't find information that resonates with me. Look at, just literally Google I Ching 20 and then whatever position, the word position, and then look, Google whatever the little number is after it. And that will let you know okay. exactly you know, the I Ching's version of it. Cause I, I prefer the I Ching is all about these like universal life lessons that we're kind of here to learn. And people traditionally, when they like use the die and they cast, they use it like in a divinatory way. Um, and what human design has done is taken that divination and turned it into a, a tool for kind of self-reflection. And so it's like, what mm -hmm. is kind of the flavoring of that lesson and what you're here to learn on the planet? Um, and some of them were, were, are activated in our chart and some aren't. Um, so instead of, you know, letting the kind of, you know, chance dictate what the lesson is it's, it's actually mapped into us before we we arrive on the planet which is yeah, so cool it's really, it's really cool is there a difference between like the conscious gates and the unconscious yeah gates? so our conscious gates and that's anything in black um are basically so those were mapped the second that we are born they align with our natal chart um and so that's where that mapping would take place um i like to here's the metaphor i like to use so the gates and the channels is where the I Ching and western astrology kind of meet and so I like to say, like mm -hmm. our, you know, you obviously know this, our astrological natal charts, like a cosmic snapshot of what the universe was doing, you know, in our solar system, the moment that we exited the womb, we took our first kind of independent breath. Um, and so it's almost like when we took that snapshot of what the celestial heavenly bodies were doing, each one of those planets reached a phantom arm down and got to turn on a specific lesson. I like to think of us like gestating in the womb and having these like 64 little light switches, which represent like the 64 little eaching lessons all turned off and each one of the planets gets mm. to reach down and turn one on so like when you were born the sun was like i'm turning on lesson 20 and your earth was like i'm turning on lesson 34 and sometimes they're going to reach for the same light switch but they each get credit so whatever gets flipped on the second you were born that's your conscious design or sorry your conscious personality and it's typically stuff we're a little bit more aware of because it's closer to the surface so the same process happens three months before we're born as well. They call that our unconscious design. And it's basically the universe being like, and this doesn't matter if you were a plan C section, if you were premature, if you were, you know, late, if you were exactly on your due date, it's almost as if like the system assumes the universe knows exactly when you're coming, even if you don't, your mom doesn't, you know, et cetera. Um, it's three right. months before this date. The universe is like, and ding, we got to, we got to set that first, you know, take that first snapshot, let those first gates get 
opened, like let those first lessons be turned on. So again, same thing, snapshot, phantom arm comes down, certain lessons get turned on. And so when you have, and this kind of gets a little more sophisticated, when you have like a lesson turned on, like you said earlier, like in one center and that gate gets activated and then maybe the, the one on the other side of the channel gets turned on as well. That's actually what defines your centers is having a channel that connects them so energy is flowing through. So the reason you have certain right. centers okay. open is because it's like their partner on the other end of the channel never got activated, never got turned on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's anything cool. that's unconscious, we're a little bit less aware of. Um, and it depends on how much like self-reflection you've been doing, how much kind of you know, journaling and reflective work, how like open you are to kind of that honest self scrutiny. People who are really reflective typically look at the stuff in red and be like, I've been, I've unpacked that box before. I am familiar with my bullshit mm-hmm. in that way. Yes. Okay. I know where that happens. Um, but a lot of people tend to go, hmm, that doesn't resonate with me. And then they'll ask their partner, their best friend, their boss or whatever. And the other person will be like, oh yeah, you do that. And here's the receipts. So, you know, sometimes right. it's like, it's <laughs> okay, just, yeah. I, I call it the tip of the nose stuff in red. It's stuff that's so innate to who we are, like the tip of our own nose. We can't see it without the aid of a mirror or, you know, someone around us. So it's just a little harder sometimes to see the lessons in red, but the lessons in black, like we're like, it's like big flashing lights. Like, yep, I can name six times where I've learned that lesson. And it's not like school where you learn the thing once and you master the content. You're like, I now know fractions. Um, it's more like this is a lesson that will come up through one person. And then maybe six years later, you learn it again through a different person, through a different lens, or you maybe you, so it's not like we never win our human design. We never master our human design. It's meant to kind of be a big karmic, you know, circle that we're continuing to kind of engage with the entire time we're on the planet. Okay. So what if, okay. I, one thing that I get a lot of questions with um, and it's so, okay. I actually did your, um, Saturn Ooh. return workshop, the one that you have on teachable. Yes. And you mentioned something about gate 36, oh, yeah. which I thought was really interesting because I have a lot of people in my life yes. with gate 36. And then also that I'm seeing that a lot with mm-hmm. clients actually that I'm working with is the gate 36. And so can you tell me about like what that would yeah. look like? Um, because that one is, it seems to be so powerful and it seems to cause a lot of pain. So in my incarnation lives. crosses in gate 36. I am the, I'm the rhino across yes, the garden. Okay. So my entire life is, is gate 36. That's my partner's oh, too. So what you're, yes. just a little bit about yes. that one, because that to give you insight to your partner, people have the incarnation cross in the garden of Eden. It's another one of those parables that kind of brings out, you know, the, the theme of the incarnation cross. Um, those of us with this incarnation cross kind of are, are sent into the world having this very utopic idea of what love should feel like. And we want to kind of replicate Mm. these utopic relationships with people um, on planet earth. The problem is we're on planet earth and like, you know, there's cruelty and there's avarice and there's people who lie and there's deception. And, and it's basically like a reality check. We get like water kind of cosmically splashed on us and we realize, okay, not everybody loves the way that I do or not everybody wants to love the way that I do. And it really our childhood and how, love was modeled for us actually kind of gives some insight into how easy it is for us. But basically we're here to learn how to have a deep and loving relationship with ourselves, and to learn all the different ways that people love and express love and give love um, and kind of really oh, kind of so emanate beautiful. love and compassion. So like, you know, generosity of spirit, um, compassion, understanding, we're meant to kind of like model that. But also, again, and we're not going to do it perfectly. Um, I'm not saying like we're the best mm-hmm. people to have a relationship with. We're, we're definitely, we have a lot of stuff we're unpacking around that, but we tend to kind of 
um, sometimes we become emotional rehabs for people in relationship, uh, in relationships. Like I used to mm-hmm. joke and call myself like Jacqueline's school for broken boys. Um, because I, I had a lot of people who I dated in the past <laughs> right. who like had been cheated on their previous relationship or had, um, you know, really right. fucked up stuff happen to them. And then they're with me and they're like, but you're respectful and you're kind and like, you're compassionate. You didn't break up with me cause I messed up or, you know, it, it's like blows people's mind, but we're also here to also learn about like, what is an acceptable way to love us back? Like a lot of times we'll accept things that aren't like other people would be like, that's a giant no. How could you make an excuse for someone to do that kind of thing? And so that compassion can be a double-edged sword in some ways. So yeah, we're here to kind of learn right. all the ways that love can kind of exist on the planet, romantic love, familial love, et cetera. Um, so gate 36 itself though, it lives in the emotional solar plexus and it's little kind of mm-hmm. um, name, according to, to Bobby, um, is the gate of crisis. Um, and so it's, mm-hmm. it basically depends on what placement it's in. Um, whether what line it's on, what planet it hangs out with. But Gate 36 itself is really all about kind of how we, the emotional endurance that we have to kind of walk through the world. And so people have their solar plexus defined. That's their authority in their chart. They have basically emotional intelligence and they have to ride this kind of tumultuous emotional wave to figure out how they feel about something before they're able to take action. People have their solar plexus open feel other people's emotions in their body. And it can be just as tumultuous. It's almost like sitting down Mm -hmm. and realizing that I thought I was sitting in a chair, but it turns out I'm strapped into a roller coaster. And now I just have to kind of endure this crazy three minutes and like feel all these things I didn't intend to feel. Um, But it's kind of the same thing. Like people with that open solar plexus can't make decisions based on emotions because it's other people's stuff and their own stuff combined. They have to wait till that wave is over to kind of step out of it so they can get clarity from whatever their authority is. And so people who have this gate activated, how they deal with, you know, um, how they deal with kind of other people's emotions and their own emotions is a big kind of, it's just a big life lesson. Like, do you, when someone else comes to you and they're really keyed up, do you collapse? Do you personalize it? Do you, you know, magnify that back at them? Um, do you self-sabotage like, or how do you kind of, you know, do you approach that person who's struggling with compassion and, and understanding? Do you like put that distance and say like, let's both talk when we're calmer. So it just, there's a lot of different lessons we learned through gate, gate 36 on, on the different lines, but a lot of it's about waiting for emotional clarity, um, and how we kind of, you know, allow emotions to either impact us or how we kind of, yeah, how we navigate really tough emotional feelings. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, especially just with like the people, like not just him, but then also some of the other people I know Mm -hmm. that have this gate. Can we go into like what it would look like? I don't know. This might be really like way too nuanced. Do you want to go into it on the different Not be able to do this, but well, just like what it would look like. So for example, Mm -hmm. with that gate, what it would look like if it was conscious versus unconscious. Would it change or would you express the gate? Everyone expresses the gate depending on like, what their circumstances are in the world. Like I can give you an example. Um, okay. Actually, it's funny. I blogged about this. Yeah. So we can like even share that link um, with your listeners. Um, so it. like, here's an example of like the, I always say each gate has a healthy expression and an unhealthy expression. So like when we're in our, in alignment, yes. when we're really like living our highest lives, being our best self, like it's like that meme of like higher self versus, you know, the Kermit with a little, you know, hood on. Um, yeah. So there's the times <laughs> yeah. where we're being really self-indulgent and then there's times where we're, you know, really living our best life. So 
I'll use an example from when I was in the classroom. I taught um, first grade. I did Teach for America after college, and I um, was in the South Bronx and in New York City. And um, so I was in a very low-income area that had a lot of economically just disadvantaged students. And it was totally massive opportunity gap, a lot of, you know, racism in the way that the funding was allocated for this school. Anyway, I had a little girl in my class who was going through some stuff at home. Um, Her mom and her dad had just gotten divorced and um, dad kind of disappeared, like out of the picture completely. And so mom was a very, um, mom was Jamaican. Mom had this like very kind of tough love approach to the world and was very like, these are the rules. This is the way things are. And just ran a really fucking tight ship. And so dad had Mm -hmm. always been the pushover. Like dad was the type of guy who like, he told me a story once during parent teacher conferences of like, she wanted Doritos and it was the middle of the snowstorm. And he like put on his coat and boots and like left the project and went and found a open bodega and got her some Doritos. And like, he just would do anything for the kids. And so when dad right. left, she had had like a yin and a yang kind of at home where she had like the softness and the toughness. And when dad left, it was just the toughness. Mm-hmm. And so she was acting out a lot in my classroom, especially when she felt like she didn't have a choice. So when I was in the unhealthy expression of this gate and she would have a massive tantrum, it would get me fired up too. I would end up yelling back or I would try to just control the situation. It was like, Teaching 101, like worst classroom management, like it would just turn me into like, and I would cry. I would feel like the worst teacher. I'd be like, I'm not serving this child. What am I doing in this classroom? Like I'm doing damage. It was just awful kind of like, I was letting this emotional outburst of hers really like take up residence and like put down roots within me. But when I was having a healthy kind of reaction to it, it was like, I could really be that, that pillar for her. Who's like, okay she's going through a really rough time. How do I look at this with a generosity spirit? How do I, you know, battle with her and like on behalf of her, like in a lot side by side with her and not combat her in that situation? Like, why am I fighting for control when like, she's also fighting for some sort of control. So like being able to kind of approach it with compassion and be like, okay, let's kind of, you know, how come I'm not allowing myself to, cause I have an open solar plexus. I can typically get really good emotional information from people about how they're feeling like on Mm -hmm. good days I could sense up this little girl she's having a rough time I think a tantrum is coming and I could do some things proactively to be like oh you know let me start give her some choices let me make her my line leader let me give her a little special attention and some compliments and I could typically head off the tantrum but if I was you know really emotionally depleted it was like oh fuck here we go again like and you know and I would get it's it's all Uh about kind of learning how through that gate to hold that space for all of her big feelings because she's she was five and six years old at the time and like we can't expect any five or six year old to really be able to articulate I feel like I'm not in control someone help me feel like I'm in control again um, yeah. so yeah, so it's all about like my healthiest expression of that was compassion was, you know, um, anticipation was, you know, generosity. And my low state of that was just panic was, you know, trying to micromanage was like, you know, almost amplifying the conflict without realizing I was doing that, um, and over-personalization with it. So we, and that she was just one of the many teachers I've had over my life. Um, even though she was my student about this gate and how yeah. it kind of operates, um, yeah. So what do we, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, 
yeah, that definitely helps me understand. And I like the high road, low road yeah. kind of thing. Like I talk about that a lot yep. in astrology. All You know, two people could have the same birth chart and they could be using the energy oh, radically yeah. differently depending on if they're using the same high road car, or the different low road. Driver. Would you find yep. – yes, exactly. Would you find that people who have it part of their conscious personality would be more likely to take the high road because Maybe. they're aware of it? Or does that I think, not No, really I think it matter? totally does matter. I think that, you know, the things that are – it's like we're, we're aware of my – a friend of mine um, used to – he was really funny. He used to say, I'm familiar with my work. Um, where he's like his body of work and right. he meant like I'm familiar with my bullshit and like the stuff that's in our conscious design yeah. I'm always like I'm familiar with your work like it's just kind of yeah I see where I, I'm kind of mm-hmm. on my bullshit in these ways anything that's unconscious though it might have to be pointed out to us it might be a partner being like hey I noticed that every time you talk to your mom you're a raging bitch afterwards like let's talk about that or you know mm-hmm. and it might be little things like that where someone else has to kind of gently shine that light or it might be over time like a therapist or a friend or even yourself you come to the realization fuck like I'm really letting this specific person get under my skin in that way or they they knock off my emotional wave if you have it defined and like that ends up like you know dumping me in a different I'm making decisions in the height of the wave and I shouldn't be or whatever it is um that's it's funny I have a good friend who has emotional authority in her chart and her way of regaining control when she's in her emotional wave is to go shopping so I always know when she's in a rough place because she's bought a new furniture (laughs) for her living room or she's you know I remember one night we went out and I just like I again I wasn't judging but I noticed that like every time we went to a store she ended up buying several hundred dollars worth of things and I kind of like said I was talking to my mom and I'm like over under on when I'm going to get the text about all the stuff that needs to get returned and like within five minutes she's like okay I went to I went too crazy here's what I'm going to bring back and it's like (laughs) I get that because when you're in the wave it feels so out of control she was like where can I pull control to get some of that back um so yeah it's just all about how the solar plexus teaches us how to navigate feelings and each one of those lines represents a little slightly different nuanced way of the how we learn that lesson but um yeah we want to just kind of be you know yeah just how do we kind of how do we breathe through it how do we experience it and then not like we don't ever want to like you know, sequester ourselves from other people and be like, I don't want to feel anything. So I'm going to live in my house and not go outside. Yeah. It doesn't work like that either. I'm going to, I'm going to hermit yeah. and just never yep. experience anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Um, okay. I love the way that you talk about it because I love all of the analogies you use. It makes it really like, it brings it down to earth and it makes it palatable for people. Right. It takes all of like the headiness out of it mm-hmm. and the woo woo-ness. And so I feel like I could talk to you about it for forever because I have a thousand (laughs) questions, but maybe I'll get you back on the podcast again, maybe down the road. Yes. But I'd love to get into like what your, so, okay. One of the things that I tell clients Mm -hmm. all the time when it comes to astrology or human design or anything like this, where a lot of it is quite interpretive, I tell people choose someone who sees the world in a way that you like. So choose an astrologer that, that breaks it down in a way that feels good for you. Choose a human design analyst that, that specializes in the things that you're working through or whatever the thing is. And so I, I always like to ask people like, what is your ideal client? Who do you like to work with? So I love working with people who aren't kind of so often left field. They want to know how to make it practical. They want to know how to make it actionable. Yes. And I get nervous actually, when I hear people using some of the, the, I guess, official human design language, like one of my least favorite phrases is if it's correct for you. 
Like a lot of people who've been certified, I find that that's, and I'm completely self-taught. That's kind of something I want to be transparent about is Mm -hmm. I figured the system out completely on my own. I have some questions about the way some of these official, um, quote unquote, official places like certify people. And like, we won't, we don't need to get into that unless you want to, but, um, one of the yeah, to, one of the things I hear all the time from people who haven't certified is if this is correct for you. And there's this kind of like almost like overt dedication to speaking about it exactly the way that Bobby did. Um, and they would call him wrong. Right. And there's almost like this deification of him. <laughs> and that to me yeah. feels a little bit like he was a dude. You know, he was a human who had human flaws and human challenges, and he definitely put his humanness and brought it into the system. And so I want people who want to talk like human beings and like, we want to acknowledge the flaws and the challenges and we want to have practical conversations. Anyone who takes it to this, like, I don't know, this almost too kind of esoteric place. Like I get a little nervous when I get emails from people like that. And I'm like, I don't know that. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I will actually pass them on to someone else. I have a little list of uh, readers that I think talk about it in a way that's different than me. And so if I feel like there's that disconnect, I know I'm not going to be able to serve them the way that they need to be served. And so I will, I feel like the Santa Claus that sends people to gimbals in Miracle on 34th street. I'm like, this person actually might be the better, you know, fit for you. Um, but yeah, I want to talk to real women who, and real men and, and real people who, um, just want to kind of get down and dirty and really dig into what's working, what isn't. So if you're not self-reflective also, we're probably not going to be a good match. Um, right. So that's another kind of, yeah. So I want to have practical conversations that are accessible, that are actionable and that are, yeah. And that are honest and self-reflective. Okay. I love that. And the, the really great thing about that is that is most Yay! of my audience. Cause that's the way I approach astrology as well. Um, I can, I have the same yeah. thing. I'm self-taught. I ended up going into and doing some trainings and teachings and they were really mm-hmm. nice. They helped me out, but I didn't get anything more out of them yep. than I already had before. Um, and so I am also very like, if it's not practical, yep. I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't want to talk about it. If we can't make this work for you, if we can't make this something that is yes. a tool, then I don't really Agreed. care to use it. And so, yeah, so that's a really good fit with my audience because pretty much everyone that I work with is like, okay, but how do yeah. I use this? You know, we really bring it down. And specifically, I work a lot with women and couples because I'm also a clinical counselor yeah. and that's kind of like what's my focus within my practice. And so it kind of like blended into how I use astrology yep. and all of these things too. So do you, you do work I with do. couples, right? You do a I do, analysis. I do. I, and I, yeah. it's not just couples. I will get parents who are like, look at my son's chart or look at my daughter's chart. Or people oh, are that. like, yes. okay, my yeah. mother-in-law are just like really button heads. Like, let's look at our charts together or whatever it is. So I, I do comparative analyses for anybody who wants to kind of look at like their, their chart versus whoever else's. Um, yeah, but I definitely work with couples. Mm-hmm. And I think my favorite question that I give a least sad, and I'm interested to see how you answer this as well. I get, I get emails from couples all the time or like one half of the couple that's like, will you tell us if mm-hmm. we should break up? And I, right. I get so yes. proud, like, no, I will not. And here's why. <laughs> but like, I, yeah. it, it, do you get that as well? And like, yeah. Yeah, I do. I always like, my thing is like, I, I tell people all the time, like, do not make your decisions based on yes. your astrology. Yes, yes. Or your human design. Just don't. Like, it, that, that's a recipe for, like, victimizing yourself, right? Because then you're going to be yep. 55 years old and you're going to be like, okay, like, what if what if in 20 years you don't even believe in this stuff anymore? And then you go, okay, I used all these 
I may, I used this system to make all of my decisions. What would have happened if I had just yep. listened to myself? Right. So I, I definitely also, I don't even do like, if you call me and you're like, okay, I've been seeing this guy for six months and I want to know if he likes me. I like, I yeah, won't even no. do that. Like, yeah. It's like, you're either like in a committed relationship and we're problem yep. solving or we're not yep. using it. Yeah. I mean, I will do the whole, yeah, I I'll get do that the a whole, lot I have too. a crush on this guy. We're kind of seeing each other. How do I understand him better? That I will do. Yes, I like but, that. But um, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I don't do the whole yeah. should we break up. My favorite is, is this person my soulmate? I'm like, I am not a psychic. Like, I am not. This is not <laughs> prophecy. And that's the other thing. I get a little nervous when people try to use human design for like divinatory or like prophetic purposes. Because it's it's really kind of a, like I always say, you know, it's nature and nurture. Like we were talking about with astrology. Yeah. You, it's, it's not just what make and model car you're driving, but it's who's in the driver's seat. And so, and what your what the conditions of the road are. You know, if I'm driving, you know, yes. rocky yeah. back road trails, like the wear and tear on my car is gonna be very different than if I'm on like well-maintained highways, you know? So it's, it's kind right. of the same for our human design. Like you can have twins born like within, you know, minutes of each other with almost identical natal charts and they're going to end up with, it just depends on what happens to each twin and what, you know, all the different events that like lead them through their life, even if they have the same chart. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. Totally. I think that you can really, you can use your mm-hmm. information as a tool to help guide you towards where you want to be. But if you use it as a tool to make decisions about what mm-hmm. you should do, it's, it's just not going to yeah. work in the same way. You know, how would people even use human design? Like, do you mean like when people yes. talk where the sun yes. is now? That's the part that makes yeah. me a little nervous, okay. uh, except for reflectors, which I can see how that would be helpful for them because it's really how the moon is kind of transiting their different gates. Um, Cause you know, we, we move, was it the moon? You, you can tell me, isn't it what every two and a half days the moon changes? Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. makes sense to them. Cause they're like, Oh, on this part of the month, this, I might feel a little more touchy in this way, or, Ooh, this might be a theme more toward this part of the month. But I also want to make sure people aren't manifesting problems where there aren't any. So that's where I also, yeah. it's almost like if I, you read a horoscope and it says, don't leave your house today. You know, are you going to make problems exist where they would, they wouldn't otherwise, or, you know, anyway, I, Mm -hmm. I get a little nervous about that. Okay. No, I, yes, I even, okay. So with Mm -hmm. astrology, I think it's super helpful. Sometimes I I used to not even do like have conversations about what was going Mm -hmm. on cosmically at the moment, because I, I, I have the same kind of thing. Like, I don't want you to go out and start problems with your boyfriend because I tell you that Mars and Venus aren't getting along today. Like I I don't want you to do that. But then I find too, that sometimes when I do share, people are like, okay, Mm -hmm. my life makes a lot more sense. Thank you for the clarity. Thank you for whatever. But it is this like really like thin line of walking that of like, if you're using that information, if you're following an astrologer or a human design that's giving you that breakdown, you need to make sure that you are like checking in with yourself and making sure you're not creating problems for yourself. And it's you know? always the least reflective it, people who want that information. And I mean, not to, not to put it with a broad brush, because I find it interesting. And I, I, I definitely have had clients that are curious about it, but the people who kind of demand that level from me or like want readings that go that deep tend to seem to me like to be people who aren't willing to do that like honest self-reflection and take a step back and really ask themselves, like, am I projecting onto this situation? Am I, you know, overanalyzing? And human design itself is this process of getting out of our mind and back into our body. 
for except if for mental projectors, yes. which we can, that's a whole other thing. But for most of the different types, um, you have an authority that lives in your kind of cradle. It's either splenic, sacral, or, or emotional. And so much of, uh, of life for those folks is getting out of that over-analytical, pragmatic, logical mindset and going back to instinctually or instinctually or intuitively, what is my body trying to tell me? Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it also can like, we can, we can rationalize anything. So that's another big, definitely. That's a huge lesson. I'm, you know, I've been learning throughout Mm -hmm. my whole life. I'm very, um, I listen to my gut a lot. I have a really strong, yep, as you probably know, sacral yep. response. And I'm I'm very in tune with it. And I listen to it a lot, unless I really care about something. So when it comes to relationships or, um, you know, anything that means a lot to me, I, I get very rational and heady me in too. my mind. And so, yep. yeah, it's it's a constant process of, of, you know, not analyzing and not trying to figure something out and not going into that masculine space mm-hmm. of like, I need to fix and I yep. need to whatever. And so I'm curious, I know, I see that a lot with generators, obviously, of like, how do I make these decisions with my gut and not with my mind? Because my gut, it it doesn't always make sense why my gut wants me to do what Mm -hmm. it wants me to do. And so do you have any advice for like deconditioning either like the, what is the very top one? It's the head, right? And then the one underneath is the Anya. So do you have any um, advice for either like deconditioning that, you know, open Mm -hmm. head center so that you can you know, make decisions through your gut or just for helping people get back into yeah, their so body? Yeah, so it's a different feeling. So the open head center, the head and the root are both pressure centers. So basically the head is pushing all of our mm-hmm. energy like down through our mind center, out through our throat. So we experience like a an open head, because and the head is also how we process like what inspires us and how much attention we give to things that do inspire us. So you and I both with our open head center, we get excited by something or something inspires us. And we're like, buy all the books, go to all the classes, dive down the rabbit hole, and you <laughs> yeah. got to do it now. And so, 100%, so if we experience yeah. something as a pressure, that immediately is, it's not my sacral. Like, that's just my, like, number one, like, okay. so for me, it's actually podcasts are a big trigger for me because I am a book nerd. Like, I'm actually in the process of packing to move right now. And I'm selling all of my open head center purchases because what happens is I will listen to a podcast and I will like the person being interviewed is so interesting and they're so compelling that before the podcast is even open, I have the, or over rather, I have the Amazon app open and I bought their book and I bought four other books on the same topic. And it's just like, and then they arrive a week later. I'm like, why was I, what? Like, why did I buy this? Like, <laughs> or maybe it's not as interesting as I thought it was, or it was interesting because that person was interesting and not because the topic is. Anyway, I have too many books that I bought in a moment of like. I do yeah. the same thing. That's so funny. I just, I go to Indigo probably yeah. twice a week. <laughs> and I literally like, I literally, yeah. put it, I, I'm selling, every, I'm like reselling everything on Amazon. Actually, so if any of your listeners want to go to my Instagram profile, you can see a link to my, my Amazon open head center space, um, where I'm just selling all these used I books. I love that. Yeah. I'll link I'm just it selling all sure. these used yeah. books that I bought. But, um, basically like that could be, that's, I always joke that's a hashtag open head center problem is we, something inspires us and we're immediately feel this pressure and this push to take action. The sacral feels really different. Right. So the sacral is either a pull towards something or a contraction away. So food is like the best way to get back in touch with your sacral so imagine going to a restaurant and like listening to the specials from the waiter so this happened to me a couple weeks ago I was at a um an Asian fusion 
brunch place. It was Mexican and Asian food together. And so there were some interesting flavor combinations. And so like, as the waiter was telling us the brunch specials, one was this waffle that was made with like churro batter that they had a bit of jalapeno in. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds really good. Cause I've had like spicy hot chocolate before. And just like, I remember as he's telling me the, um, the special I'm leaning in, my shoulders are back, my chest is out. Um, I felt really pulled toward it. The pitch of my voice is going up. It's like a very, like I'm pulling toward the thing. Then he tells us about the scramble and the scramble had wasabi and cilantro in it. And my whole body just was like, I'm sorry, what? And like everything kind of contracted and the menu went over my gut and my voice was like, why? And I like heard it like drop way down. And like clearly like to my body, that is not a attractive flavor combination. My body was basically like, yeah, no. So just like for little things like that, it's the easiest way to kind of remember what that sacral yes and no feels like. Um, And then once we kind of get used to feeling it on little low stakes things like shopping and food, we can start bringing it into like bigger discussions. Like, do I want to go on that first date? Am I comfortable taking this job offer? Do I want to sign up for that class? Like, what are those things I feel pulled toward and can't let, let go of? And it's consistent. So a sacral pull is going to last beyond just that initial, like, I need to buy this now. Like, you're still thinking about it hour. Or when it comes up later, you get that same pull. It's not like in the – you'll forget about something that's a pressure. It's very, like, that's a different kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. So would you recommend that people who have, you know um... – if their inner authority mm-hmm. is sacral, would you recommend that they, you know, take a beat like while they're learning oh, yeah. to listen to it? Just take well, some time and see. That's yeah. what it means okay. with way to respond. You're waiting for your authority to weigh in. A lot of people think the waiting okay. means like, again, you have to wait to have something to respond to. The waiting actually refers to what is my authority saying? And it's harder for people like you're kind of lucky as a manifesting generator because you guys love to be busy. You love to have like a lot of things mm-hmm. going on. Um, Typically, manifesting generators with emotional authorities struggle because their body is like, go, 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 but they have to wait till they've felt everything out first. And that emotional wave can take a couple days sometimes um, or longer. And so they don't have that instantaneous yes or no. Those of us with sacral or splenic, the waiting is much shorter. It's basically like, and I'm, I'm looking down at my, my gut right now, but I always jokingly, like, if it's a sacral thing, sometimes I'll even physically look down and be like, okay, what are you, what are we doing? Like, how do we feel? Like, let's just take that 30 Mm -hmm. second pause and like, feel into my spleen. Is it a yes or a no? Or feel into my sacral if that's my authority. Is it a yes or a no? Um, and for manifesting generators, the waiting in, or not manifesting generators, rather, um, people with emotional authority, that waiting is much longer. But that's kind of what the waiting refers to is just allowing our authority to weigh in before we do, especially if it's a major life decision. If it's something minor, decision. you can just go yeah. with what feels good in the moment. But yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And then with the spleen, having that defined, what does that look like versus? So spleen is a little bit different. So I actually, I'm a weird setup weirdly as a generator because I am spleen sacral root and that's it. The rest of my chart's completely open. So yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is really interesting. And it's cool too, because I have a lot of like sensitivity and like empathy and like stuff, but I also have this like very clear intuition. So when the spleen is defined, the spleen is like our fight or flight center. It basically is focused on like what is safe and what isn't, um, what's true and what's not, what can change and what can't. So I always think of it as like when we were like early man hunter gatherers, we needed um, something in our body that would tell us like this immediately about the safety of the things around us without getting cognitive because we didn't have like the, you know, 
brains that we have now that are so metacognitive and developed. We needed something just like vibrationally, instinctually that were like run toward that thing and eat it or run away from that thing and, and right. live to see another day. Um, and as it's evolved over time, you know, in most parts of the world, you know, our lives are not in imminent danger every moment of the day. And so now the spleen's kind of evolved beyond just like safety. It's now looking at efficiency, effectiveness, integrity, um, potential, and it's giving us messages about that as well. People who have it defined, their spleen is like a radar where when it walks into a room, it's scanning and it's like, what information can I get about who's safe, who's lying, who's telling me the truth? Like I will get very weird knowings about people that I have no business knowing. Like I will like, like, I remember a friend of mine was dating this guy and I'm like, yeah, he's full of shit. And I don't, I'd never met him. I didn't know why. I just got this feeling like vibrationally, energetically, something was off about this dude. Um, and then later we got the receipts and the evidence. It's like, yeah, you know, he's not as serious about her. You know, he's been lying about this thing. So typically people with a defined spleen get very clear information about, you know, others, which helps them lean on it to make decisions. And so a splenic, yes, okay. typically yeah. it's to connect it to our digestive system and our adrenals. So typically a splenic yes is like that, you know, that I want to lean in. I want to fight for that thing. I want to like, I might get my palms sweaty, my face flushing, my stomach might feel like it's in my throat. It's kind of that excitement. And the no is that mm-hmm. contraction away. It's like the, your stomach and your shoes kind of hollow knees. Like I want to get as far from that thing as possible. It's like that flight response. Um, and it also can kind of just be a knowing. Like sometimes there's not really a, we just right. know things we have no business knowing. Uh, the, and the mind though, again, same thing with the sacral wants to get involved and be like, well, they haven't actually done anything yet. Can you prove that they're lying? Or can you prove that this person's shady? Um, yeah. So people with it mm-hmm. open, they're getting those same impulses. The problem is their body is not fluent in vibes. Like think of it as like going to mm. a restaurant in a country where you don't speak the language and like, the waiter's trying to talk to you. The sommelier's trying to talk to you. The hostess is talking to you. And the busboy right. has a question. And you're there with your English to like whatever dictionary going like, can someone just <laughs> one at a time? Hold on. So people with an open spleen, your body is taking in all of those messages at once. And it's not translating them fast enough. And so a lot of times that manifests as anxiety or fear or yeah. stress. And it's really you're just so sensitive to all the other people around you and how they're processing information. It's like a bad game of telephone. You're not quite sure what's being said. And that can cause some, some you know, anxiety. So you guys want to avoid making decisions based on anxiety or fear or stress or those kind of heightened things because they're not necessarily yours. Just the way I can't make a decision yeah. based on big emotions because I'm probably feeling other people's stuff through my open solar plexus. So I have to kind of yeah. take a distance from that as well. Yeah, that is, yeah, that makes sense for sure. I have an open solar plexus yes, and do. an open spleen. And so I've been really learning to like take time yeah. to get clarity and be like, I'm not going to make decisions based on either yeah. of those things because I am prone to really big emotions and then also really big yeah. anxiety. And then I also noticed in your, like, I'm curious about this because I get this question a lot. There's like some human design questions that I get and I'm like, <laughs> I can't answer that. I'm sorry. And um, so I get the question a lot of what does it mean if you so obviously if you have an open center that's you know a deep place of wisdom for you you have to yep. decondition all of that but what does it mean if you have an open center and there's no gates oh, connected because I noticed I have that with the yep. spleen so yeah I always think of it as any any center you have open and any gates activated at all think of it as like we're going camping you and I are staying in a cabin overnight any uh the window would be the gates with a screen like so we could leave that window open all night 
And like, because we've got that screen there, because you've got the gates in that open center, it's filtering what's coming in. So you're kind of, anything that's coming in is coming in through the lens of those gates you have activated. There's a bit of a filter there. Okay. Anywhere you're completely open, we have no screen. So we leave that cabin window at night. We wake up, we've got a bat on the ceiling, a raccoon in the corner. There's a bear going through our backpack. Like anything can come in if you're not being like observant and vigilant and just like aware. And so it's just that much more open, which is probably why you said like, I'm prone to big anxiety. That's because you don't have Mm -hmm. anything grounding you in your spleen to help you filter the impulses you're getting that are coming in. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because I find, yeah, I can have, I can be hit by a wave of anxiety out of nowhere. And then like over time, I've definitely learned how to decipher whether it's mine or or what's going on with it. But I also noticed during periods of high stress, it's really hard for me to make decisions because I'm like, I'm not, I don't feel Mm -hmm. calm at all. And I've learned that if I make decisions when I'm not feeling calm, I always regret it. So do you have any, I, I actually work a lot with people. I don't know what it is. I think it's because people with open spleens tend to be looking for, I don't know if this is true or not, but I find that a lot of times we tend to be looking for something yes. outside of oh, ourselves. Oh, totally so, is true. Like that's yes. just people with an open screen okay. don't like being by themselves because it's almost like on some mm-hmm. unconscious level, you know that you don't have everything kind of energetically sussed out the way that someone with a closed spleen does. And so you either tend to kind of find right. other people with an open spleen because like safety and numbers, or you're really attracted to people who have their spleen defined because you're like, if I hang out with them, I could just follow their cues or follow their leads. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. So I find I get a lot, a lot of my clients yeah. have an open spleen. Very rarely do I have a client that yeah. has a defined spleen. And so I'm curious um, if you have any, like, how would you decondition the spleen? Well, I for think example? you just, you, you kind of gave a really um, kind of good example. Like when you're feeling those big waves of anxiety, I think a lot of it is like taking a step back and pausing and being, I know it's, it's hard because in the moment you're like, ah, um, mm-hmm. everything's heightened. It's but, so hard. Know, yes. You can kind yeah. of take a step away from it. And even maybe like, you know, if you can go to a room by yourself or go to, you know, a place, if you're at work, like, can you close the door and, and, you know, be in your office or go use the restroom or whatever it is and try to get space away from other people um, and try to kind of be like, where did this come from? Cause I think one of the big um misunderstandings of human design is that like people with an open spleen don't have stress of their own. It's all other people's or people with an open solar plexus don't have emotions of their own. It's all other people's. No, like we have our own stresses. We have our own anxiety. We have our own emotions. It's more of like, I always liken it to when you move in with someone and you do like the merging of the things and then you break up and you're like, damn it. Whose copy of To Kill a Mockingbird is this? Like that's kind of what happens sometimes. Like, wait, where did this anxiety come from? Is it mine or is it someone else's? So I think the first step is to kind of be like, where, when did this start? What triggered it? Or what kind of brought it on? Was it mm-hmm. something that physically happened to me or did it all of a sudden come out of nowhere? And if it came out of nowhere and you can't kind of know the source, it's probably more like a sensitivity or like a, um, you know, a kind of, it's somebody else's. And when it's somebody else's, it's a little bit right. easier to release than it's like, you know, it's almost kind of empowering both ways. If I know it's someone else's and it's not mine, I can kind of breathe through that and release that a little bit better than if it's, you know, caused by, and if it's caused by something that's in my life, then I can start being proactive and be like, okay, well, let's come up with a plan. Let's kind of deconstruct what message I'm, I'm getting here. But I think the important thing to remember is like, if you have an open spleen, you don't make splenic decisions. And so the stress, the anxiety, like we need to let that pass before the decision is made. Because that's, we don't want that to kind of taint or color, 
you know, what the actual authority is trying to tell you. And so if you can even shift your focus to what you do know, which is your sacral, that can be another, you know, strategy of, of kind of navigating that. But it's hard. I mean, I definitely, I think anxiety, you know, I also, I'm someone who also kind of like, there are clinical explanations for things like this as well, like in brain chemistry explanations. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not one of those people who's like, it's only your human design. Like, it's like, you also have like, yeah, you know, your, no, your childhood and your, you know, yeah. all that other stuff. So I'm sure yeah. that's probably not the most clinical or, you know, I think that's another challenge with doing human design. No, is, but they, they work really, they work really beautifully oh, do, together. Yeah. Right. So like, even when you were talking about the spleen and like the way that you see it, like that whole, um, survival instinct, mm-hmm. you know, kind of lens that you have on it. That's actually the way that I think of like the yeah. amygdala, the, the, you know, caveman yeah. part of the brain. And so when you start looking at and putting these systems together, they all have yeah. the same way of looking at things, but they either put them in different parts of the body or they talk about yeah. them differently, but it's all the same. I think on the yes and and not right? the either or. And I, I get a little nervous because you were asking earlier about like, you know, what clients I, I love working with people who are like, oh, psychiatry is a, you know, crock of shit it's yeah. only this it's like oh no they work hand in hand and like it's got to be kind of a yes and yeah. looking at it or like different language mm-hmm. it's like potato potato like although most people don't say potato yeah. but you know what I mean like it's kind of you know the same right. mm-hmm. you know it's the same thing yes I'm the yeah. same way too yeah definitely like blending yeah. it all together and using you know whatever pieces you know you exactly. work for you if you take a piece of something and it doesn't work then whatever that doesn't mean that the whole rest of it is bogus Absolutely. right so you take what's work what works and you leave yeah. what doesn't so yes Bobby um, for this to be but yeah that's sorry I'm so bad I'm so bad at sorry podcasts. what I'm like talking over you no I mean <laughs> that's what this is that's what this is though like I did not want this podcast to be super formal and dry and like you have to bring these like certain questions yeah. or answers like I really just like to have conversations with people and so the interruptions are it's well it's done. my open throat um, I was just gonna say like Bobby meant Bobby meant for this whole thing to be an experiment anyway so like he you know at its core when it was right. initially channeled it was meant to be take what works leave what doesn't so yeah mm-hmm. oh, I love that and that, I think that that's how we should approach Absolutely. everything you know um okay so last yeah. question is there anything about like anything that you feel like or any question you wish that I had asked oh my goodness any question that you don't get asked about human design I know it's a big one I but, don't even um, know where to start I find that. for me there's things that I love to talk about that I never get asked about and so I like asking um, people that oh you know what I I do want to kind of caution people to maybe this is a good way to kind of because this mm-hmm. has come up for me a lot lately um diet and human design so there's um there's right. this whole system in human design called the PHS and um, it goes yes. into what you should be eating and when you should be eating. And I just want to kind of caution people to tread carefully there. Um, so the way that the system looks at it, and I've kind of tiptoed into this a little bit myself, um, it tends to align it to, like, it looks for big kind of themes, whether, um, like, if you should be eating alone or with other people. And some of the recommendations that they come up with are really disordered eating. Like one of my clients had his done and it was like, he was told he has to eat by himself um, in the dark with his hands, one ingredient at a time. And that was like his, his like dietary prescription. And I'm literally (laughs) going like, that is so limiting in terms of even types of cuisine you can eat. And like, I'm just thinking, like, it was funny because his wife had walked in on him in the pantry 
in the dark. Like she just went to go get a can of whatever. And like, he was in there by himself eating a bowl of romaine next to a bowl of cucumbers, you know, one at a time. And right. it, like, it caused a big fight because he felt like he was being disrespected by like her not honoring his like way of eating. And so I think there's some wisdom we can glean from, from the, the PHS. Like for example, I bet he was told he has to eat alone because he may have an open heart center and like people with an open heart center, mm-hmm. we tend to like have crappy willpower. So if like you're trying to eat healthier, like I have an open heart center, there's certain people I know if I'm like not dieting or maybe trying to like eat a bit healthier this week, like I'm not going to have dinner with my friend at the open heart center. Cause we'll end up eating all of the French fries. Like that's just kind of like, I have right. zero willpower with that person. But if I eat with someone who eats really clean and eats really healthy, I'm more likely to make healthy choices. So things like that, it's like, you can mm-hmm. pull little bits of wisdom from it. I just caution. Cause I've heard like a lot of really bananas, crazy recommendations come out of that. So I think like, and it can be very expensive to have it done. So you know, I, I don't know if it's the best source of dietary information. So just, you know, grain yeah. of salt with that one as you're digging into it. I don't know why I've gotten like five or six questions about it in the past week. And I'm like, apparently it's having a moment. Someone is talking about this um, in some way. So I would just be a little bit careful because there are some that like, there are some readers who, who are like generators should eat this, manifesting generators should eat that. And that's actually not anywhere I can really find yeah in the system yeah Um, but the other the like the actual primary health kind of thing goes so specific and just it gets a little nuts so just you know like right salt with all of these things and like you know it's it's yeah I get a little bit nervous about that so that is a question I get asked a lot that I I kind of you know I'm a little nervous about that I approach some of the parts of the system with some skepticism yeah. And I, yeah, I totally see that. Like, again, like be yeah. your own authority, right? Yeah. I, um, I didn't get one of those readings done, but I did have like the, the 64 keys oh, yeah. software. And so I figured it out for mm-hmm. myself. Um, and it was helpful, but it wasn't like, you know, if I listened to it all mm-hmm. of the time, I literally would only ever be eating one yes. foods, you know, I wouldn't be eating fruit or any of those things that yep. I also really love. No more smoothies, anything like that. And, um, I can't remember. Oh, mine had something about other parts where that was a big one. But I have to eat like hot, wet foods, and I was basically like soup, soup, and like tea. That's it. Like, right? (laughs) I was like, like, that's "Um, a really boring existence, and like that's (laughs) not healthy for anybody. Not happening. We need to chew things. If we have the capacity to chew, we should be chewing. Um. Anyway, so it's just little things like that where I think sometimes, and I again, there's a lot of. Um, behind the scenes stuff that was happening with the guy that channeled this and some court cases and like the gene keys as a whole um, the 64 keys comes from the gene keys which is was a system built by one of the students Richard Rudd of Robert Allen Krakauer and they were in court for a while litigating over intellectual property rights so a lot of this stuff too I wonder how much of it is a business decision versus kind of the core of the system itself. So, cause there's not a lot of you know, right. accessible okay. information on that. So again, just buyer beware, just be very, you know, like I think mm-hmm. bring your, bring your, your um, analytical hat with you. Um, and your just sense of knowledge yeah. about yourself. Like, and if you have, you know, maybe struggled with diet or disordered eating in the past, then that's not a part of the system I'd advise you to dig into. Um, Definitely. Okay. I'm so glad that you said that. Right. I tell people that all the time, like cleanses can be healthy. Doing all these different things can be healthy. But if you're coming at it from a disorder eating kind of, you know, headspace, it's not going to work for you. It's not going to be healthy for you. So yeah. No, thank you for saying that. Yeah. I just, I, um, I danced when I was a kid and I was around a lot of girls and I had my own kind of struggles with, 
you know, uh, just, you know, calorie counting or binging or purging or just, and I think maybe that was my heightened yep. lens looking at this going like, Ooh, I could see how, if I were still in that space emotionally, psychologically, that I could take this to a really dangerous area. And like, we want to make sure yeah. that we don't, you know, so I would just, that's like a little word of caution to people who know that in themselves, that that could be a, a trigger or a challenge. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for oh coming on. Oh my goodness. On. Thank you. I had uh, so much fun. I'm so happy to have this you. This was great. Yeah, me too. All right. So if you loved that episode and you know want to know more about human design, I would definitely recommend checking Jacqueline out her you know her blog is one of it's actually probably the best human design blog that I have found she goes over everything there and she's even right now I think in the middle of going through you know all of the gates so you can get any human design information that you want from her website and you can also book readings with her on there um I love her. I think that she, you know, she brings such a grounded and real perspective to human design, which is one of the reasons why I was really drawn towards her and her work. And then she's just very thorough, very, 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 very thorough. Man, that was a lot of varies. But in, you know, not just her writing on her blog, but even. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Okay, so sorry. Um, I just thought I heard someone outside and had a little panic attack. Just a little mini one. It's fine. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, as I was saying, her her blog is really thorough. And then even the information package that she sends you when you get a reading. And she said that the one that she sent me was like, a tiny baby one compared to what you would normally get in a full reading so I love that about her I love how thorough she is I love how much information she gives and yeah she makes it really practical and you know usable so I hope you guys love this like I said before rate review do all the things and let me know you know any feedback that you have I welcome it hope you have a really good week and I will see you all later